you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Matthew 18 today, so if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Uh, We are in this series where we're focused on being God's own people, uh, a people of his own possession, this just a a people that are set apart in the way that we do things in this world. Not that we're better, but we understand who we are and who Jesus is and our sufficiency is found in him. And so there's just a different flavor to us that we work towards, this Christ-likeness that we work towards And we've walked in areas that we should be set apart as a people in the way that we work, in the way that we rest, in our citizenship, where our true home is. Last week we talked about being set apart in our relationships and specifically in our relationships amongst each other as brothers and sisters. And today we even go down that funnel a little bit further as we look about how we're set apart in our conflict in the church. And then next week we'll dial down even further as we talk about being set apart in our words in the church. And so that's where we're headed today. We're going to be in Matthew 18, and we'll read these words today. This is Jesus, and he says this in the Gospel of Matthew. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them... Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times, or seven times seventy-seven times. Let's pray. Father, we uh, lift up these words as sufficient. Your wisdom is flourishing. It's for our joy and your glory. And so, Lord, we just come underneath your word today. We believe that it is for our heart's good to hear this and be convicted by it. So, Spirit, just move in our life in a way that brings your truth into our hearts and our minds, specifically as we deal with conflict and the sins of others and the sins of ours and how we intertwine together as the body of Christ. And so we just submit this time to you, Lord. Teach us, fill us, and we ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So two pretty big inferences that we will find in this text in Matthew 18. Uh, Jesus in this chapter is in the midst of his disciples, and he has already taught on what it means to be great in the kingdom, what it means to abstain from temptation, how we deal with temptation. He's talked about how we celebrate when somebody who's lost comes into the faith, and here he's talking about what happens when a brother or sister sins against us. 
This is maybe some of the most pointed discipleship time that Jesus has with his disciples. And in his conversation about dealing with sin and our conflict with sin, he reveals two really important things. One of them is that there will be times in your life that you are hurt, harmed by other Christians. It's just going to happen. And number two is if that is the case, there should be a movement towards that conflict and not away from it for our good, both people's good, that we, might, we may make a fuller image of God together, that we may look more like Jesus through our conflict. And so last week, we talked about relationships. And we said that in this relationship, in the church, God's bride, brothers and sisters, there should be an evidence of, of love and encouragement and generosity, we reflect what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2 when he says, you are a chosen race, a holy nation, God's own people, a people of his own possession who reveal his excellencies to the world. Him who brought you out of light or darkness into light, you were not a people at one time, but now you're God's people. You did not receive mercy, but now you receive mercy. God, or Peter, is commending us forward to be like Jesus, to do this well, to have a different flavor amongst the world because our relationships are a fundamental means that the world will come to know the love and the goodness of God. That we, as humble Christians, reveal to the world through our life God's goodness, His mercy, His transformation in our life, and we specifically even bring more glory to Him as we do that together in relationship, encouraging one another, sharing our burdens, restoring each other, praying for each other. We said last week that the church should be this practice ground where we cultivate Christ-likeness amongst each other, cultivating it here in this church, a people that is seasoned by grace and mercy, love and hope, remembering and anchoring themselves to the redemption that they found through Christ. That should permeate itself into the church in a way that when we mess up or when somebody messes up, there should be grace and forgiveness given to one another, that we would be a people that count others as more significant than ourselves, that as Barry Corey wrote in his book called Love, Kindness, that we as Christians should be a people with a firm center and soft edges, that we should receive one another well, and so if that is true of God's people, when we mess up, which is inevitable, when we sin against each other, there should be a recourse in which, assuming the best in one another, we bring up our charges, our issues, with the hope of reconciliation, with the hope of restoration, with the hope of deepening our relationships as we walk gracefully in conflict together, that we deal with each other's sin. Before we move into sort of priorities of a peacemaker or God's peacemaker, I want to talk specifically about sin. And that's, that's talk about sin. That's always fun to talk about as a pastor, sin. Sometimes in our head, we, we see sin as this list of things, like big things like murder, adultery, theft, stealing, stealing. But we should correlate sin in our head much more like this. Anytime we devalue the image of God, the worth of God, the might of God, when we don't love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, that is sinful. That is devaluing 
the holy God. And anytime we devalue God's image bearers, His creation, when we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, we are sinning. And when we don't do the good that the Bible prescribes for us to do to one another, that is sin. And so sometimes we make sin about this list of things that I do in my actions, but we find in Scripture that sin has nothing to do with your actions as much as it does to do with your condition. One of the most fundamental truths of Christianity is that you, the things that you do don't make you a sinner. You have an innate, deep belief that you are the most important thing and person in the world. Our problem with sin is the problem that we have in worship. We worship ourselves. We are at the center of our worship, and we bend everything and cultivate everything in our relationships and our environments to serve us and to bring us pleasure. That is why Christ came. The crux of why Jesus Christ came was to deal with our hearts, not with our actions. Jesus didn't die on the cross as this good example of what a good moral life, a good selfish life, selfless life looked like. It wasn't for us to say, hey, I should be more like Jesus. The real problem is you can't be like Jesus. You can't. It's not in you. Jesus is the only thing that can fix us. His death atones for our sins, for our brokenness, for our hearts. We can't fix our actions because we need a new heart. We need a new heart. We need rescued. And why do we need rescued? Because a heart that centers itself on worshiping oneself, is in rebellion against a holy God. And it is set up for destruction. Not just in death, but a heart that worships oneself as primary brings destruction everywhere it goes in this world. There's a path of destruction around it. Faith in Christ is the recognition that I need a new heart not better actions. It's, the Christianity is not behavioral modification. It's radical life change. I can't fix me, only Jesus can. Because he was perfect, selfless, righteous, and on upon his resurrection, I'm given a new life as a new creation, and by grace, I'm gifted his purchase, perfect righteousness. So I am no longer living to please God through my actions, but I live from the status that through Christ, God is well pleased with me we are then in recovery. The Spirit works in our lives to make us what we always were supposed to be in the garden. God created us to have a heart that was fully satisfied, fully sustained by Him and Him alone. And so listen, Christian, if that is our reality, that it's not our actions, it's our heart, there's conflict. And we sin. And we don't know it. And we hurt other people. And we are fools to think that we have the tools to fix that and see it. We need each other because we have blind spots that we don't see. We don't see them. As a Christian, conflict is an opportunity to shed our pride, humble ourselves, elevate others, that we confess, well, I don't know how to live this life. 
I just want to be like Jesus. And what is fundamentally true of all of us is that our self-perception is most often self-deception. The things that I think are true about me are often untrue. That's why when people say, follow your hearts, it's like nails on a chalkboard. I don't know what's right for me always. It deceives me. My heart deceives me. And so we need each other through love and humility to guide one another to be better images of Christ. And so somewhere along the way, we created this idea that our best life is one that runs in opposition to conflict. That my best life, the greatest life, is a life where there is no conflict present. And what that does is create this belief that I need to avoid conflict, run from conflict, stay away from it. We have this idea that our life should be peaceful. We should be on a beach somewhere with somebody serving us drinks with umbrellas. That's the good life. And so we don't want to walk into the issues of other people or the issues of ourselves. But listen, being hurt by the sins of others and not doing anything about it does not glorify God, nor does it promote your joy. It doesn't. And it doesn't love our neighbors as ourselves, and it doesn't promote the kind of human flourishing that God so richly desires for his creations. All of those loose ends that we have in our lives, those unresolved conflicts in our life that we think we're managing, that we can just put off aside, they're not something you can put off aside. They control you. They control you. The anxiety that's created and maybe seeing that person at Walmart or at church, the type of avoidance we have in our lives that I don't, have to, I don't want to be around them, so I'm just going to go over here, the way that we talk about them or that issue to other people, those unresolved conflicts, they control us. That is not flourishing. But inversely, when we assume the best in one another, to with grace and mercy love each other and say, that hurt. What you said, that hurt. What you did, that hurt. Here's what I'm hearing about you. Is this true? When we take the time to love somebody in that way, to believe the best in them, it allows our relationships to grow deeper and stronger. You know, in war, there's this saying called uh, the Band of Brothers. I don't know if you've seen that. It's my, probably my favorite miniseries, The Band of Brothers. But there's this There's this line, uh, I think it's Crispin, St. Crispin said it, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It's this idea that there's this close kinship, this, this intimate bond amongst those people in war because they are depending on each other for their lives. And in the conflict of war, in that hardship, their relationships are strengthened to the point that they see themselves as brothers. When we as Christians are willing to walk into conflict with each other to reveal our hurts, to hear where we've let people down, we are actually creating the sort of relationships that we so deeply desire. We move past the superficials of life that bother us. I don't want to talk about the weather always. We move into deep relationships with one another where we know each other's 
hearts. It actually is for our good to be in conflict. And so let's move into Matthew 8 and look at this as sort of a, a nuts and bolts practice, or, uh, passage and how we handle ourselves, brothers and sisters, when our sin flares up because it will and we hurt people and how do we go to them. We're going to talk about the pr- priorities of God's peacemakers and there are going to be four of them. Three of them are going to come out of Matthew 18 and one of them is going to come out of Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4.26, this is Paul, he says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So what that is saying is that you new creation, you Christian that there, is, there are still going to be things that anger you. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to get angry. But what we do with that anger matters because there is a way to be angry and not sin. And the recipe for that is in the passage that we don't let the sun go down on our anger, which means this, when something makes me anger, angry, anger, I deal with it. I go, oh, this is bad again. Let's let him... Let them hang out. Okay. All right, buddy. There you go. (laughs) So here's the first principle in being God's peacemaker. Number one is that you seek resolution quickly. You seek resolution quickly. Do it quickly. Nothing is worse than letting unresolved anger dwell in your heart because you think that you can set boundaries, but you can't. That anger that you feel at work will often come home with you and you'll take it out on your family or you'll project it in some other relationship. We deal with our conflicts. We deal with things that bother us quickly. Proverbs 29, 11 says this. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. We create so much chaos in our lives by letting things go unsettled. And the longer that we wait, the harder it is to deal with it. And the longer that we wait, the less likely you're going to deal with it. But here's what's true. They still will remain as obstacles in your relationship. If you don't deal with them, there are going to be obstacles in your relationship. So we have to deal with them quickly. And that doesn't necessarily mean everything. There's a conflict that comes from sin, and there's a conflict that comes from things that I just don't like. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So here's, here's what we need to think about. Let us be a people that deal with the right things, and not the wrong things. Meaning this. Uh, so my wife's in the room. She's going to love this. Uh, so when we go out to eat, my wife has this habit. She just eats my food on my plate. She doesn't even ask me. She just assumes that it's a buffet that she can just try it. <laughs> That's just what she does. And like, that can irritate me. But is that sin? No, it's not. It, it's not. I need to get past that. All right? I need to deal with it. I haven't, we've been married a long I'm not dealing with it well still. All right? It just happened yesterday. So we need to deal with things quickly in our hearts to say, can I overlook this? Is this about me? Is this serving me? Is this selfish? And even if somebody comes up to us and they are rude to us and they hurt us and they say things that we don't like, we often have to go, what's going on in their world? This person seems like they're having a bad day. And to go up to them and say, hey, man, you know what? Those words, those really hurt. 
would crush them. But if we went up to them and said, hey, what's going on in your life today? And figured out that things at home weren't well. And so we've got to deal with things quickly in our hearts to figure out, is this something that I can overlook? Is this something that I can be graceful in? But if it is not, if it is not, we need to deal with them quickly in grace and love and humility, working for the best of each other. We need to deal with them. So if we can overlook it, overlook it. If we can't, deal with it. Now, here's, here's a caution. Some of you in this room really do well in conflict. In fact, there are some of you in this room that are sadistic and you thrive in conflict. I don't get you, all right? I don't get you, but you can be for the glory of God and the church. You can be a great asset for the church as long as you're living in the honest light of who you truly are. As long as you're seasoned with grace, Often people say, well, I'm just a truth teller. I'm just a truth teller. People who consistently point out the flaws in other people. But here's what I find to be most true. Those are the people that are hiding the most. And they would rather point out your flaws than let you even come close to them to see their own mess. They are often people that you can see the tornado trail of broken relationships and havoc in your life. We have to be careful in how we pursue our conflict with each other. We can't be truthful without grace. Like this is this teeter-totter I've talked about before a long time ago. Like grace without truth is deception. Truth without grace is just mean. We live in that balance. All right, the second thing that is a priority of God's people is, so we do it quickly and we make it face to face. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Go and tell them. Not Jim, go tell them. As much as we can, we do it face to face. Now, there are times that a phone call has to happen. But as much as we can, we get in physical presence of one another because here is what happens. You have a different grace for people in person than you do on the phone or behind a screen. You, in a room, can feel somebody's emotion. You can sense their context, their their pretense. You know what they mean. You will say things that you would never, ever, ever dream of saying to somebody in person behind a text. So being face-to-face is the priority Because there is a season of grace and mercy that is present there that is not behind screens and phones. And when we take our conflict and we throw it into our social media platforms, it is like throwing napalm on that conflict. When we expose our conflicts in the public arena, it becomes less about us trying to find reconciliation and more about us finding adulation, adoration. I just want to be look, I want to look like I'm strong. I, I want to look like I'm right. You have perversed any process, any means that reconciliation could take place. Now, so, make it face-to-face. Number three is start with one-on-one. If your brother sins against you, go and tell them his fault between you and him alone. Between you and them alone. The moment you take it into the public sphere, you have created a gigantic mess that didn't need to be there. You have caused more harm in that relationship than maybe the original offense. 
if you would just go to the person, those in Christ, whom should have the same understanding of salvation and grace that we do, we assume the best in one another, we are humble and graceful face-to-face, one-on-one, we would realize lives that are dramatically different than the ones we have right now. If we would just deal one-on-one with our conflicts, we would have more abundant peace in our life and in this church. But instead, we rumble. And we make known to others the issues in others. And that is gossip. And it is devastating and destructive. We say, well, you'll never believe what they said, or she's doing this. But as Christians, we kind of package it differently. We say, hey, I'm just concerned about, right? Or, you know what? Hey, you need to pray for. That's one of our favorites. Like, you just need to pray for Steve. Cause... And so we just package this in a different way without ever going to that person and truly seeking understanding and reconciliation. Gossip is just another means that we tarnish and do harm to another person's reputation. Here's what we do. We rob an individual an opportunity to see the person that hurt us through the eyes of Christ. We are trying to tip the scales, tip the scales against them so that person doesn't like them because they hurt me. And that is just as wrong as the original offense. What we will find in life is that the stories that we create, this is so true, the stories you create around conflict are far more scandalous than what is actually really happening. There is far less complexity in things than they are just simple. Things are often more simple than you make them. I remember a few years ago, I heard somebody said I was a Muslim and that I was trying to diminish the image of Christ for that purpose. What? Like, I had a foreign exchange student that was a Muslim in my house. What is Qunan? Like, this, like this stuff, and so, like, we just create stories that are far more controversial than they really are. Things are more simple than you believe. Here's what's going to happen if you take an offense to somebody and you go up to them and you say, hey, this really hurt me. Do you know what far more is going, what's going to happen far more often than not? They're going to go, oh man, I didn't know I did that. <laughs> I didn't know I did that. I'm sorry, I didn't. Here's what I was thinking. Here's what I was doing in this. And here's what you're going to find out. That person probably wasn't even thinking about you. But our hearts make it that we believe that people are. It's about me. If we go in humility and gentleness to one another in our errors, in our sins, and we go, hey, what you will find is far more grace than you will find complexity. So we do that one-on-one. Now, there are times when we do that process and somebody is unrepentant in their wrongdoing. You have gone to them face-to-face quickly, one-on-one, and they don't they have shown no remorse for what they did for you, zero care for what the Word of God says. And if that is the case, listen, don't give up on that. Because the first priority of a peacemaker is that you get help. When we go quickly, we do it face-to-face, one-on-one. If that doesn't work, we get help. We go to one or two people that may have saw 
what happened, or somebody who's godly, that is outside the situation, that can mediate the problem, and kind of come to that brother or sister in love and say, hey, what's going on here? Here's what we're seeing. And if that doesn't work, then you give it to the church. You give it to the elders. And you let the church deal with it. If somebody's going to hurt you in sin, and they're not going to repent of it or be sorry about it, humble in it, remorseful in it, if they're going to continue in their pride and stubbornness and they resist the call of you, the call of other people, then it comes to the church and we've got to deal with that conflict. That is off of you, that is on us. And there are realities because we desire so much for this to be a congregation of peace and brotherly love and affection and sisterly love and affection that there may be a time that we have to tell somebody they can't be here. Because if they're going to hurt somebody and they're not going to take ownership of that, then that can't stand. And that would be an extreme measure that we hope we would never get to. But that's the reality. And so this is our rhythm as people of Christ, believing that conflict is actually promoting growth, it's promoting depth in our life, it's spurring each other on to be a better image of Jesus. We can't avoid it. It robs each one of us of opportunities for growth and maturity. And so we do that by handling it quickly, being face-to-face, doing it one-on-one, and then getting help when we need to. And so that's how we pursue it. But we also have to be a people who own our stuff. Nobody is shocked. Nobody is shocked that you might mess up. Nobody is shocked that you might hurt somebody. When we do, we own it. So that means when somebody comes to us and says, hey man, I don't know what happened here, but this is this hurt. We own it. And we receive them with grace and humility. We're just as inviting of hard stuff in our lives as we are in giving hard news to people. We are a people that are seasoned by grace and we have a hope in Christ. This is not our home, and we want to reflect the image of Christ in the world, and we need each other as iron sharpens each other to reveal our blind spots to help us to mirror Christ more in this life. So let's not avoid conflict. It's not the absence of the best life. It is actually for your best life that you deal with it well, that you deal with it godly for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we just admit that this is hard. We culturally just, we just believe that, that we just move past things. We, we bulldoze things and just, we, we just want to, I want to be graceful. We, we're confused on what it means to be graceful. Graceful isn't ignoring. Lord, just help us to desire as hard as it could be to be truthful with one another in a way that we reflect your image, we show your humility and grace, we're, we're foundationally secure in our salvation with you and our sufficiency in you that frees us up just to be like, I, I'm not going to get this right all the time. That we receive each other when they come with hard news and that we would be willing to help grow and mature one another through revealing their, their blind spots and their sharp edges. And so, God, help us to grow as a congregation more in love with each other. That we would be like a family 
wanting the best and assuming the best. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.